Today is November 16th, 2020. Protests turn violent at the Million MAGA March. The executive branch gets a firm rebuke by the federal courts, and the right has to walk back a voter fraud story. Welcome back, Split the Difference, friends and family. Let me tell you, let me tell you, we got a show for you today. Starting off this Monday right, we got the best episode that we've done so far. And let me tell you, we're looking at stuff from the left, we're looking at stuff from the right, and we're bringing you all of that sweet, sweet truth that lays right there in the middle. If you are new, welcome in. Thank you for joining us. Our goal here at Split the Difference is to be a political podcast that's a little bit different. We're not going to try and be over the top about what we're talking about. We're going to try and be level-headed. We're going to try and be reasonable. We're going to try and look at both sides of the aisle and oftentimes find the truth that we think lies in the center of all of it. We don't want to be too brash in some of our expectations of how people should act. We want to work hard to promote unity. We want to cultivate a good community of people that can you know, communicate well and enjoy the politics that they talk about and, you know, not be mean to one another, not be divisive. We're trying to start something that's a little bit different here. Now, with that being said, we're not going to not have opinions because everybody has opinions and that's a good thing. But we're going to try and be level-headed. We're going to try and be reasonable. We're going to try to be nice to one another, kind of parse through all of this craziness that's going on in the world right now. So if that's something that you're interested in and that you enjoy, Hop along with us as we try to figure all this stuff out together. So, with all of that having been said, let's hop on in to our story number one. So, our first story of the day is the Million MAGA March. Many of you may have heard about this. What happened over the weekend, happened on Saturday and Sunday. I believe a bunch of people marched on Sunday as well. But basically, protesters took to the streets of D.C. to be able to support Donald Trump be able to say, he's my president, he's who I'm going to support, he's who I'm going to stand behind. We think that there's been voter fraud, we think that bad things have happened, and we want to let the world know that we are here for Donald, for Donald Trump. Um, I think we can go ahead and say it right off the bat, it's called the Million MAGA March. Many of you may have heard or can think back to, because you were alive at the time, for the Million Man March, which happened in 1995, and it was a gigantic protest put on by black Americans uh, in order to be able to protest some systemic problems that they saw and that they believed were there that were oppressing black Americans. One of the biggest things that you hear about Donald Trump is that he's extremely racist, and he does and says racist things. Well, a lot of people on the right side of the aisle say that that's not true, that Donald Trump supporters oftentimes are not racist, they aren't purposefully racist, and uh, you know that that is an unfair accusation to level at Donald Trump and his supporters. Well, having a predominantly white-led protest for Donald Trump, who has been accused of being racist many times, who has frequently refused to denounce white supremacy... Calling it the Million MAGA March, which is a direct play on words for an African-American protest called the Million Man March in 1995, is not going to help you with your argument there. That is directly flying in the face of the Million Man March. Just classic. So, 
Many people gathered. I don't think it was a million people. <laughs> it was a pretty good amount of people, though, um, to support that they believe that the president is, uh, for the most part, kind of being uh, wrongly taken out uh, of the presidency right now. They believe that there was a lot of fraud, and they believe that Donald Trump should remain the president. So uh, what we're going to do is kind of go ahead and hop on in now, take a quick look at what some of these protests actually looked like. I came here because I believe in the Constitution, and I believe in America, and I believe in what happened in this, in, in this election is not fair. With voter fraud, now I see on the media them discussing there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. It takes one vote. If there's one vote that is fraudulent, that's enough for me. This isn't a research project. I'm not looking for statistically significant stuff. I'm looking for one evidence of voter fraud all right so uh that was a couple of the supporters there basically talking about why they were why they were there that last guy actually saying that he only needed one evidence of voter fraud in order to be able to prove that 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 the election was fraudulent that is some incredible stuff so this is a great example of how people that follow donald trump or follow anybody for that matter can and will listen to the things that their leaders that they support say. These people are coming to protest an election that they're saying is fraudulent and an election that they are saying uh, was stolen from Donald Trump and that the results should be nullified. The only reason why they are believing in saying that is because that's what Donald Trump is saying. He's been setting up this messaging for months and months. He knew that this is what he was going to do. And he is now setting up the stage and has set up the stage for saying that everything is fraudulent. There are now tens of thousands of protesters in Washington, D.C. that are saying that the election was fraudulent. We should not be surprised by that. People are going to believe the leaders that they believe. They're going to believe and follow the leaders that they think are right. So, um, much like much of the incredibly large protests that have happened earlier in this year, a lot of these protests uh, pretty quickly devolved to violence. Uh, 20 people were arrested over, I believe just on Saturday, 20 people were arrested. There was a whole lot of clashing with the D.C. police. One side is blaming the other side per usual. Um, oddly enough, though, I haven't heard any of the right-wing media come out and say that the protests... Uh, should be called null and void and the and the cause that they're coming out and protesting for should be called null and void because they ended up devolving into uh, violence so if we remember the protests of George Floyd that have happened you know for or happened to, to uh, protest systemic racism in the United States and you know racist police officers and the need for police reform there's been a lot of those protests that have happened all throughout the year well a huge talking point by political pundits on the right side of the aisle have been that if any of the protests devolve into violence at all or rioting at all or looting at all that you have to basically just take all of it and throw it out because those protests and what they were doing doesn't stand for a whole lot if a lot of them are turning into violence well, the right side of the aisle came out and they started protesting. And of course, it divulges into violence. The Proud Boys were there beating people up. Antifa was there beating people up. That's what happens when there's large protests and there's incredibly heightened rhetoric, which we'll get into in a minute. And there's also incredibly heightened tension. So I, uh, I'm not actually surprised. I'm speaking in complete sarcasm, I'm being totally facetious when I say I'm extremely surprised that the Republicans haven't said anything. This type of hypocrisy on both sides of the aisle is just 
I mean, uh, just wonderful, right? It's always out there. Of course, the right isn't going to call out all of the bad actors and stuff that's happening on their side of the aisle when that happens. It's just, it's just what's going to happen. So, um, Donald Trump, of course, is instigating all of this, right? This is like, this is his time to shine. This is the thing that he's been waiting for. Um, he drove his motorcade through the Million MAGA March. Um, obviously, everybody's cheering, running beside his motorcade. Woo! having a good time. Um, he also decided to let out an incredibly solid string of tweets. Um, he started by retweeting a video, um, that was actually already retweeted by Andy No, who is, uh, if you don't know who Andy No is, he's basically like a right wing political activist that has gotten in a, he's got, he's basically revealed a whole bunch of stuff happening, especially with Antifa and stuff. He got beat up by Antifa a couple years back over in Seattle and Portland. He does a ton of videoing and stuff like that. He, he's a journalist for the most part. Um, but Andy No retweeted a video of a man being un, knocked unconscious by a supposed Antifa, um, supporter. So I want to, I want to show this video. Now it is, it does contain violence. Okay. It does contain a guy getting knocked out and he has blood on his face. So if you are squeamish or if you don't want to watch something that is violent, then please do not watch. But I want to show this video that Trump retweeted. So actually, I'm going to stop it right there before it gets all bloody. So basically, in the video, you can tell absolutely nothing. You have no idea who the guy is. He's not wearing any Trump garb. You you don't know who the other guy is that punched him in the face. You don't see who that guy is. You basically see one guy knock another guy out. You don't know when the video actually took place. You can't tell what's happening at all. No context to the video at all. Literally none. It's been retweeted by Andy No, who claims that it was an Antifa supporter that attacked a Trump supporter. So Trump, of course, retweets it. Zero context for it at all. Next, Donald Trump decides to tweet this. Radical left Antifa scum was easily rebuffed today in the by the big DC MAGA rally crowd, only to return at night after 99% of the crowd had left to assault elderly people and families. Police got there, but late. Mayor is not doing her job. Then he also tweeted, Antifa scum ran for the hills today when they tried attacking the people at the Trump rally because those people aggressively fought back. Antifa waited until tonight when 99% were gone, to attack innocent hashtag MAGA people. DC police, get going. Do your job and don't hold back. Then later he tweeted, quote, The silent media is the enemy of the people. With these tweets, it is apparently obvious, apparently obvious, that Donald Trump is trying to incite the followers that he has to, quote, protect themselves from the evil other side right? There's this evil force on the other side. Antifa embodies the evil on that other side. They're coming and they're just attacking all of these innocent people that are there just trying to support their, their president who rightfully won the election. Okay. It isn't just a protest. You are fighting to be able to save the country. This is some seriously disgusting stuff. 
seriously awful. And like, I know that Donald Trump can stoop to lows and I know that, you know, Donald Trump has done things that have been beneficial and been good for the country in the past. This is not one of those things. Donald Trump, in case you think that him tweeting is just, oh, you know, that's just Donald Trump tweeting his normal stuff. He has about 89 million Twitter followers, 89 million people. For context, and I know that not every single Twitter follower is in America, but that's about a quarter of the United States population. Every time that he tweets, if he tweets this fake video of this guy getting punched in the face and claiming that it was people beating up Trump supporters, that is almost 90 million people that see that. That is not a small amount of people. Donald Trump going out and promoting violence and promoting vitriol is a practice that has got to stop. It cannot continue to happen. And I think that this is one of the clear reasons why you are seeing so many people that were like, I don't like Joe Biden very much, but I am definitely tired of this. I can't stand having my president coming out and tweeting and supporting his protesters, the people that are coming out to support him and attacking and rebuffing and beating back violence from the other side, evil side of the aisle. Just very disgusting, just not good stuff. And I get it for the most part. It is the fringes that are out there causing violence. It is. It's the far left and the far right side of the aisle that are going out and doing crazy things. Okay. I get it. But Donald Trump is making it seem like it's the entirety of the left that is attacking the, the entirety of the right. And that's just not true. And that's not happened. And it is up to us as normal members of society that are level-headed, that are reasonable, that can come out and have actual decent conversation and kind of rebuff and push back some of this heightened rhetoric that it does cause problems and does start to lead to violence. So with all of that having been said, let's move on in to our second story of the day. So story number two, the federal district court uh, rules basically to rebuff the Trump administration and the executive branch about restrictions to DACA. So uh, there's a couple things, I guess, that we're going to have to parse out here. The overall story is basically that the federal courts up in North, up in uh, New York said that um, there were uh, the active, I guess, that the active secretary of the Homeland Security, which I guess he, he technically is acting, but I'll get into a little bit about why he's not quite acting a little bit later, but he um, put a whole bunch of restrictions around DACA recipients, when they were able to receive it, who was able to apply, all of the dreamers. This has basically been going on for the past couple of years. It's been a pretty big legal battle since 2012 when it was enacted by the Obama administration. So um, the federal court came in and said that it was these, those restrictions done through a memorandum sent out by the Homeland uh, Department of Homeland Security were done illegally. So there's a couple things that we have to parse out. First, what is DACA? So um, DACA is a program that was created during the Obama administration uh, to be able to help protect unimmigrants, young immigrants known as dreamers, primarily Hispanic uh, immigrants that have come to be living in the country uh, without legal permission, uh, but they've been here since their childhood. So it's been the subject of a ton of battles. Um, in a lot of different courts and stuff like that. It actually made it all the way up to the Supreme Court earlier this year, but DACA stands for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So the idea or the premise was basically that there were a whole lot of kids that were brought to America 
and it wasn't really their choice, right? The idea is that you've got a six-year-old from Mexico and he is brought over here by his parents or by aunts and uncles or maybe he or she was brought over by a coyote and they were brought into the country to be able to meet up with family that was either already here legally or here illegally. And it wasn't their choice, but they've gone all the way through the school system. They have jobs. They are paying taxes. They are just regular law-abiding citizens, but they're here in America illegally. The majority of these people uh, obviously probably speak Spanish, but they speak English fluently and would probably say that that's their first language in a lot of ways. Um, They were educated here, have friends here, have family here have probably not nearly as many ties back to their home country, wherever it is that they're from, as they would here in America, because the vast majority of their lives have been spent in America. Um, And yet, you know, they don't have any protections and they didn't have any path to citizenship because they were technically here illegally. Well, Well, the DACA program came through and basically tried to make a passageway for these children's children to be able to gain citizenship and to be able to, um, gain a little bit of a foothold in a society that they were very much a part of. So it's anywhere between about 600,000 to 800,000. I've seen estimates of up close to a million um, people as well that would be eligible for this. So it's not an extremely small group of people, right? I mean, you're talking about up to a million people that could be affected by this. Um, So this was done by the Obama administration basically as a way to be able to give these young people that were American in every sense of the word um, that were just here illegally because they were brought here as young children. So the second thing that we have to parse out is this. The ruling wasn't necessarily that the restrictions made by the Department of Homeland Security were wrong. It was mainly that they were done unlawfully. So basically what happened is that in June, the Supreme Court ruled that the Trump administration did not follow correct federal procedure in order to try and dismantle the program. So one of the big things that Trump campaigned on is that he was going to try and tighten up and get illegal immigration under wraps. That was one of the big things that Donald Trump was pushing, that he was going to build the wall. He was going to make sure that the people that were here were here legally and that the dreamers, um, he kind of went back and forth on it, but he ended up basically trying to dismantle in some ways the DACA program. So the Supreme Court this past June was like, no, you didn't do it right. You didn't go about it in the right way. Um, we are, you, we're not going to let you do all the stuff that you wanted to do. So Chad Wolf, who is the acting Homeland Security Secretary, issued a memorandum that extremely limited the program. What it did is it kind of took, um, it made it so it could, um, that there's no new applicants that could apply for DACA. Uh, it limited the current applicants so that they could only apply to be underneath the protection of the program for one year instead of two. So they'd have to apply every single year. Um, but the problem was, and what the federal district court said that the problem was, is that Chad Wolf was not appointed properly. He was never approved by the Senate. So Donald Trump nominated Chad Wolf to be put in as the secretary of Homeland Se- Department of Homeland Security, but the Senate has to confirm him, right? He has to con- the Senate has to confirm who the executive branch appoints to these higher positions. Well, there hasn't been a Senate confirmation of a secretary for the part for the Department of Homeland Security since Kirsten Nielsen in 2019. So. Basically, what happened was someone who has not been confirmed by the Senate has been acting as the depart- head, the de facto head of the Department of Homeland Security, 
and was making unilateral decisions without getting any legislation pushed through Congress at all, right? This was all being done under the executive branch, under the authority of the president. And the courts were like, um, no, that's not how this works. You can't just have the executive branch going around doing whatever it is that they want to do with without having this any of this being touched by Congress. So regardless of whether or not you think that the DACA program is good or bad, this is a beautiful display of how our government works right here, okay? I don't care if it's a president that you support or if it's a president that you don't support, Support. all right? Doesn't matter if you're somebody that is there at the Million MAGA March right now um, protesting to be able to have Donald Trump remain as president or if you voted for Joe Biden and you think Donald Trump is absolutely abhorrent. Either side of the aisle, they can both agree. We do not want a president and an executive branch that is making unilateral decisions without any rebuke, without any rebuff, or any checks and balances from either the courts or monitoring from the legislative branch, right? We do not want that. This is a great example of how our constitutional structures are working properly to be able to limit the various branches of government so that everything can kind of cohesively work together in the little mesh the way that it does. I seriously can't tell you how much it scares me to think about a president and an executive branch coming in and saying, this is how things are going to be, and that's exactly how things happen, right? I don't want that. I don't want all of that power consolidated within one branch. Doesn't matter if it's a president or a party that I like or a president or a party that I don't like, right? Because as soon as that person that I do like makes all these decisions and consolidates power within the executive branch, well, eventually they're going to be out. Either they're going to get voted out or their term is going to come up and my, the other side of the aisle is going to have all the power. And then they're going to start doing everything that I don't want to happen and they're going to have all the ability to be able to do it with zero checks and balances. So regardless of whether or not you think DACA is good, this was a win for the United States as a whole and a rebuke against the executive branch, which over the past 20 to 30 years has slowly but surely started to eat up more and more power. The executive branch is working its way in and throughout all of American life and it's able to influence things very unilaterally without a lot of uh, you know congressional oversight and without a lot of judicial oversight either. This was a big win for the federal courts and it was a pretty big win uh, for the United States as a whole, in my opinion. So, DACA as a whole, all right, I think is a very, very good thing, okay? And I, I, have, I have that opinion for a multitude of reasons, but I think Trump going through and trying to strip DACA down completely was a terrible decision. It wasn't a good move at all. And for anybody that is in my generation, you probably grew up with or knew of someone that would probably end up being a DACA recipient, right? Like these were young people that were brought to America at an incredibly young age that are as American as anybody else. And it wasn't their fault that they got brought here. And when you pick somebody up out of the culture that they literally have been raised in and then just drop them back in a country that would technically be the country of their birth, they don't know anybody there. A lot of these people probably don't even speak incredibly good Spanish because they're used to speaking English their entire life. Um, that's obviously not to say that every DACA recipient 
can only speak English or something. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that they culturally have grown up in America and most of them would probably claim to be American. They want to be American. Um, and the DACA program was at least giving these kids a way, and now grown adults, a way to be able to find a path towards citizenship, which they very much, very, very much need and deserve. Now, Totally get, and I understand, illegal immigration is a problem. It has been a problem for a long time. And having people come into the United States illegally is a is not a good thing, right? We need to make sure that we know who's coming in and out of our country. That is important. But as a Republican, which it's so interesting to me because this is something that Republicans have actually kind of flip-flopped on, right? Like way back in the day, it was the Democrats that wanted to limit immigration coming into the United States because they wanted to have incredibly robust social programs. Well, Republicans were the ones that wanted to be able to bring it, make immigration as easy as possible so that you could keep, if they're coming from more third world type countries, you could keep labor costs incredibly low because most of them are unskilled labor. This is an incredibly good way. This is the very libertarian way of viewing immigration. You bring people, you allow people to come into your country very, very easily. You give them green cards and work visas incredibly easy, especially if they're low-skilled laborers. So they come in, they establish themselves, they establish a life, they work in more like lower-wage, lower-skilled labor jobs, they raise children and they raise family who then are educated and come up in society to help give your society more culture. They give your society uh, a, hard, a good, hard-working, hard work ethic, and they um, help you, they eventually become high-skilled laborers, right? And your country grows from that. That's good stuff. I line up on that side. I want incredibly easy immigration. I don't want illegal immigration to be running wild, but I think that easy immigration is a very good thing. And I think that DACA was a step towards that. DACA was helping that to happen. Donald Trump trying to strip that and lay that bare with no other kind of plan about going behind it, I don't think was a very good thing. But granted, that's just my opinion. But um, this was a good, this was a win for all in all, a win for the United States as a whole, because rebuking the executive branch by the federal courts is a good thing. There needs to be checks and balances. So with all that being said, let's move on into our story number three. So for our third story of the day, that this is mainly around Trump and Tucker Carlson, but the right side of the aisle has been pushing a lot of voter fraud. So, uh, Donald Trump decided to tweet out or his campaign decided to tweet out a very very specific example of a voter fraud story of a supposed dead person that voted in the Georgia election on November 3rd. Tucker Carlson went on his show then and pushed all of this on national television to pretty much every Republican over the age of 45 that watches Tucker Carlson in his primetime spot and uh you know it became a huge story. Well We'll just hop in and take a look at kind of what actually ended up happening with all of this because it really was not great for the right side of the aisle. So let's listen in now and hear what went down. Mr. James Blaylock of Covington, Georgia, a World War II veteran, voted in the election, the president's campaign tweeted. The only problem? He passed away 14 years ago. Sadly, Mr. Blaylock is a victim of voter fraud. That claim was amplified on national television. And no one quite embodies that story like James Blaylock of Covington, Georgia. This is Tucker Mr. Blaylock Carlson. was a mailman for 33 years until he passed away in 2006. 14 years later, according to state records, he was still mailing things. 
James Blaylock cast a ballot in last week's election. False. James Blaylock did not vote in last week's election. Mrs. James Blaylock voted in last week's election. He's not voted. He didn't vote. It was you. It was me. Agnes Blaylock voted using her married name, Newton County confirmed. Her voter registration was signed as Mrs. James E. Blaylock Jr., and that's exactly how she signed her name when she voted. So basically what happens is Trump and Tucker Carlson come out and say that here's a clear example of voter fraud. Well, then people do a very small amount of investigative journalism in order to find out that is not true that that actually wasn't voter fraud. It was a dead guy's wife, who she is just the cutest, sweet old lady you've ever seen. And now she's standing there in her front door with cameras pointed in her face, asking her if she voted in last week's election. And if she did, did her dead husband vote in last or in, you know the election for the, in the previous couple weeks? And she was basically like, no, I was the one that voted. I registered as Mrs. James Blaylock, which was her husband's name. She's like, my husband didn't vote because he passed away. She was so sweet and so cute, and she was basically just harassed because these people wanted to come in and be able to prove Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson wrong. The worst part about it is that they confirmed, basically the way that she confirmed that she voted for Donald, for Joe Biden, Okay. She basically clarified that she wasn't voting for Biden, but that she was voting against the other guy. Like, that is so, like, not only did Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson get wrong the example of voter fraud, but then when they did get it wrong, it's this little old lady that comes out and is like, I didn't even really want to vote for Joe Biden very much. I just thought Donald Trump was horrible. <laughs> that just makes Donald Trump look terrible makes so much of the right side of the aisle look awful right like and tucker carlson came out and issued an apology for all of it obviously he kind of was just taking the president's word for it and they didn't do nearly as much investigation into all of it as they should have and they ended up getting a story wrong that's going to happen okay doesn't matter who you are if you're reporting any type of news there are going to be times where you get things wrong and i commend tucker carlson for coming out and apologizing and saying that he got it wrong right it it takes a big man. It takes, it's a tough, that's a tough thing to be able to do, but it sums up, I think so well, how so many people felt walking into this election and basically the state of affairs that we're in right now. The fact that she said that she didn't vote for Joe Biden, but voted for quote, the other guy or didn't vote for, excuse me, Donald Trump, but voted for quote, the other guy. It's like, you know, that it just blows my mind that like, we are now in a place where we, you know, we as a country are like, I, these options are so bad that I literally have to just choose which one I don't want to vote for. Right. And, uh, it also is, it, you know, kind of heartbreaking to me that we're now living in a time where it's like, you're looking for like one or two small little anecdotal evidences of your claim in order to be able to prove that it's right, get the sound bits that you need and just send it blazing all around the internet in order to be able to prove your point. That's just not a good way to go about things. So with all of that being said, let's go ahead and hop on into the end of our show with the last segment, my favorite segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile actually happened this past weekend. I've had a couple of good friends get engaged here recently, and it's been super fun to celebrate them, to think about them, and to, you know, enjoy looking forward to their wedding. 
being able to have good friends, get engaged, and kind of step forward in that next place of life is an awesome thing. Huge congratulations to them. Definitely looking forward to being able to celebrate them here over the next couple months. I know that I absolutely enjoy my marriage, and my wife is very sweet, and she is a wonderful person. If you do know her, then you know that what I'm saying is 100% the truth. So, you know, congratulations and mazel tov to engagement. I think it's a beautiful thing, and marriage is a wonderful thing as well. So definitely big congratulations to them. Another thing that made me smile, you guys are getting a twofer, is actually finishing up on what I said made me smile on Friday. The Masters ended, and Dustin Johnson ended up winning in runaway fashion. The man absolutely crushed it. More than likely going to win by multiple strokes. I mean, I think he ended up finishing at 20 under on, on Sunday. Craziness. So that was a ton of fun to watch this over this past weekend as well. So with all that, that is the show. Thank you for tuning in and checking us out. Thank you for helping me to do my best to split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth right there in the middle. Remember, as always, find me and like and subscribe all over YouTube, all over Instagram, all over Facebook, and check out my website as well at splitthedifference.com with one T. You'll be able to get on there and find a little more information about who I am, why I started this podcast, and get links to any and every other listening platform that you want to be able to hear it on. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, as always, we're going to keep a level head, we're going to be reasonable, and we're going to work our hardest to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.